Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we casually discuss the Animorphs one book at a time. I'm Casey. And I'm Alex. And we're going to talk you through the plot of each book. But more accurately, take you on tangent trips, factoid forays, and say, well, actually, as much as possible. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month, and we'll take you along on our mission. And we promise to have you back under the two-hour time limit. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, hi, everyone. <laughs> hi. Hello. Welcome. Oh, Welcome to Animorphs, the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the it's only like we've one. we've never done one of these in our lives. Oh, jeez. Well, it has been a while. For us. For me, it's been never. Yes. That's the most amount of time it's ever been yeah. for any of us. So you are you born anew. You were born and then at this moment, you started a, a podcast. A small baby. Welcome. My life will never be the same. Oh, no. <laughs> uh. what, are some, what are some questions we normally ask? Hey, Shannon. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. It's great to be here. <laughs> You can edit that out. I feel stupid. I will not. <laughs> that okay. is staying. Um, I think at this point we would normally ask, what is your experience with Animorphs? I have almost zero experience with Animorphs, <laughs> so I'm going to be a great guest. My only experience is from listening to these podcasts. I'm And I mostly excited. tune in to hear your banter. And I, I may tune out a little bit during the story. It depends on. What... I feel like so most of our listeners are the opposite. Like they come yeah. to the story and they tune out the banter. Probably, probably, but yeah, I I prefer the banter. Perfect. That's nice. We're covering a multitude of interests. Yeah, I feel good about this. I'm actually, I was, I'm really excited that you are recording this with us because I was very, very curious to see as somebody who was just listening to our podcast as their only source of Animorphs, what exactly they took away from the shit that we say. <laughs> I picked up a few tidbits. Okay, perfect. So, yeah, oh, I feel dude. prepared. And I know every once in a while you ask me a question like, so anyways, with the Horkvisher, what's going on with this? And I'll be like, oh my God, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> So I'm excited to see where this goes. Me too. I, in the first couple chapters of this particular book, I was like, oh God, what is Shannon thinking? Like, (laughs) oh, it was rough because I'm like, well, I don't know if we should wait till we start the story. No, just dive right in. Very confused for a while. I'm like, I know I tune out a little bit, but I thought I had like a general knowledge. And then, like, (laughs) At first, I'm good. I'm like, okay, Tobias is a bird. I got it. And then he starts talking about Melissa. And I'm like, who the fuck is this Melissa chick? <laughs> I'm like, I thought I at least had the names right. Oh, no. And then he kept going. I'm like, no. <laughs> what is happening? And then, I don't know, there was talk about slaves and supreme leaders. I'm like, wow, I'm a really <laughs> bad listener. <laughs> <laughs> like... 
I was confused as well. Like, I'm fairly familiar with the Animorphs verse up until this point at this moment. And I was like, it took me like 20 minutes to get through the first chapter because I was just like reeling. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, Shannon. <laughs> I wrote some very angry notes during that time. <laughs> I'm like, what is wrong with me? No. <laughs> my favorite one, having just looked over at your notes, the very first line is, who the fuck who the is fuck Melissa? <laughs> I was very upset. Yeah, that's... I knew what was happening because I have read these before, but I did appreciate for the first, I don't know, 20 minutes after Casey was like, okay, I'm going to go read the book now. And I get like that Facebook messenger. So I go like back to whatever I was doing. Like 10 minutes later, I get like a ding on the thing. And it's like, so like I'm reading the digital files. Is there a typo? Is Melissa supposed to be in here? (laughs) I was like, just keep reading. And then it was just like, con- like just constant, like, what? 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 <laughs> like, oh, it was a good God. experience for me to live through that. Like, normally I don't tell you my reactions to the book while I'm reading it because I want to save it for the podcast unless it's mm-hmm. something like really insane. And then I just kind of like garble at you. But yeah, <laughs> I, I was giving you like... A lot during this book while I was reading it because I just could not deal. Yeah, but like for the first couple chapters, it's it's pretty expected. Like, yeah, I, I was I knew that it was going to be kind of a mind fuck. I did just appreciate the very beginning one though, with like, um, are my books corrupted? <laughs> <laughs> Is this translation bad? Like, do, do they use voice to text and somebody really fucked up the pronunciation of Rachel? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's quite a, a mind fuck in the beginning of these books for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yes. Um, with that being said, do you want me to start recapping so we can get through this book? <laughs> yeah, this is a. Uh, let me just emotionally prepare myself. Yeah, this is gonna be really, really hard. This is a rough um, one. This is a rough one. Like, even by Animorph standards, this was really rough. Yeah. And I'll say up front that we're going to do our best to be, like, really sensitive to subjects yeah. and, like, really as uh, prepared and, and aware and educated as we can be. But at the end of the day, we just we may don't fuck know. Up. We, we may fuck up, and we're sorry. And I apologize up front, is what I'll say. Yeah. Christ. Okay. Well, um, let's let's jump into this because you know, like no other book we've ever read for animorphs, this prologue opens with Elfangor in the construction site. God forbid. (laughs) Yeah. Um, as per usual. Uh, except this time it's looking at it from the angle of hiding the time matrix in the woods on Earth and becoming a human Nothlet, and explaining that many years later he tried to return to the same site. This, of course, is a throwback to the Andalite Chronicles, where he lived on Earth for many years, and then the Elemis took him and made him a an Andalite again. So anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, so we find out the reason he returned to the construction site where he met the kids was because he was trying to retrieve the time matrix as, like, a desperate attempt to correct something or other. Which he in buried in the ground, a la yeah, Jumanji. Like, how like, deep? <laughs> yeah, had like, he this is literally that the movie. worst thing you could do. 
<laughs> it is the worst thing you can do. And had he watched Jumanji. Yeah, he would have known what a terrible mistake that was. <laughs> it's a horrible mistake. It was. Oh, oh. man. Yeah. So that's kind of where the book gets fucking nuts because we cut to Tobias's perspective and he just starts giving us like a quick rundown of the situation and it like lulls you into that like oh this is a normal book he's like I'm part hawk part part human and I guess part andalite because like you know this is my axe is my uncle and Alfangor's my dad and like this is a very confusing situation and it all seems like it's running kind of normally until he's like but it doesn't matter because I'm dating Melissa and I just want to make <laughs> Melissa happy. <laughs> like, and then he says, I'm just like flying over the beach where everybody's having a good time, even the slaves. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck? What happened? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah that I was like, uh, excuse me, what? Yeah. I, I was like, surely they mean like, like Yerk slaves, right? <laughs> I had that same thought. I'm like, I don't, can't think of any human slaves during this era in the United States. Yeah, I could be wrong. I am not a history expert by any means. Yeah, I definitely thought he meant like human slaves because like as soon as I clarified the Melissa thing with Alex, I was like, okay, this is like a fucked up time future because of the time matrix. I got it. But then when he said slaves, I was like, mm-hmm. Okay. How fucked up is this timeline? <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know if the next implication makes it better or worse, but, like, the next chapter that we cut to, it's Jake's perspective, and Tobias flies into the barn and, like, gives him, like, oh, we're all clear, nobody's around here, but Jake doesn't speak out loud to him because Cassie's slave is in the barn taking care of some animals, so this isn't, like, a slave situation that the U.S. would classically entertain, but then they say, like, She's a slave because she's partially deaf and, like, can't communicate, like, normally. Like, it's a- they say, like, the way she communicates is apparently offensive in some way because she's deaf. And it's, like- and then also we find out her name is September 12th, so she doesn't even get, like, a real name. I'm assuming that's her birthday. Yeah! No, that's what they were talking about. She said September 12th. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking (laughs) about. I'll just move on. Yeah, it- It's very- dystopian future it's super young adult novel future. yeah yeah Ugh. so it was just like so now this introduces this whole other aspect of if you have any sort of like birth defect or any sort of issue you now you become a slave but then also they mention later like it also has to do with like your class and like I know I just don't know what to do. It's and very it gets even cringy. worse. It's super cringy. It's super <laughs> awkward. It's this entire chapter I'm just I'm gonna try to get through and then Yeah I guess try to get out without saying anything that I'm gonna shoot myself for later. But um they introduce Melissa, who is apparently fighting the Yerks with them. Uh, Marco, who's kind of the same character, even though this is a dystopian future. Um, and then Axe, who they very much treat as other. Like, he is not one of us. He is alien. We, like, obviously this whole thing is set up to, like, you know, not keep people on a level playing field. Um, and then there's this really long dialogue about how the country's at war, sending troops to fight the primitives in the jungle. And we don't ever really find out exactly what the primitives are but i'm gonna go ahead and guess it's either people that fought against this weird dystopian society or anybody that is of different 
colored skin or class in that area. Yeah. We don't know for sure. Um, and then, uh, then they talk about how while all of that is happening in the human world, this group of kids is still fighting the Yerks who are trying to infest the soldiers fighting in the jungle, which is apparently very easy because the soldiers will just be like, yeah, infest me, it can't be any worse than this bullshit. Um, uh... and then we find out that Jake's dad is a special person to the Empire, because yes, the US is now an Empire, uh... <laughs> and he's worried that Cassie may be a radical and they might have to eliminate her because she is a black, and then he also mentions the Jews. And those are Jake's uh, words. Like, his yeah. actual words. It's so awful! It's really awful. And, um, like, that's... As soon as he said, like, blacks and Jews, I was like, Nazis? Is Did the Nazis take over? What is going on? This is not... Okay. That's kind of exactly what happened, though. Yeah! Like, they didn't say Nazis at that point, I don't think, but you could... No. Like, it's very obvious <laughs> right but then like as you get through the book later on there is like you do find out it was because the nazis did take over so this is like a a nazi empire america oh. it's very weird yeah um and then the drone shows up because god forbid we have a scene of <laughs> we don't have horrible... enough bad shit going on <laughs> we, don't, we don't we need our weird little like malformed skin creature oh Oh, God. Um, Oops. So, yeah, the drone appears. Everybody's like, what? What the fuck is this? Uh, and then Axe tries to say something, and Jake tells Axe to shut up because he is the supreme leader here, which is, like, <laughs> also very uncomfortable. What have you done to my child? Yeah, they've they fucked up Jake a lot. Uh... Um, yeah. And then the drone shifts them back to themselves in the normal time stream, and they are all horrified by their behavior, except for Rachel, who is like, hey, why wasn't I there? And uh, they kind of ignore her question for a second. Um, and that's when they, the drone catches them all up. He's like, so there's this lowly controller who used to be Visor 4, then got demoted. He found the time matrix, and he decided to go back in time and shift realities to make the Yurk victory easy, and also to get rid of Visor 3 so he can, like, step into those shoes and take over. And this guy's name is John Berryman. And <laughs> Which I immediately <laughs> thought John Berryman from, from Doctor Who. Oh, but he's lovely. I know. I just, <laughs> but that's all I can picture throughout the entire book. And I was like, oh no, now I hate John Berryman. Yeah, anyways, John Berryman. Uh, he was just apparently traveling through time on doing historical events that led the world to the way it is now. And the drone is like, I am very pleased with this dystopian society, but unfortunately I'm here to get you to help us fix the problem. <laughs> so the drone was sent to them to tell them that the game, you know, the one between Cryak and the Elemist, um, was, you know, just a, a having a problem that this lowly controller had found the time matrix and was like fucking up all the histories so Cryak and the Elemis decided, like, hey, like, let's get the Animorphs to fix our shit and get the Time Matrix back for us. And the, I guess they're just like, you know, they couldn't do it themselves for some reason. Nope. I don't know. I didn't really understand this part either. But um, they're going to fine tune all of their atoms to reverberate in the same frequency as the Time Matrix. So basically, wherever John Berryman went, they'd get pulled along behind him because their atoms are vibrating in some certain way. Um, and the apparently the rules prohibited Cryak and the Elemis from messing with them, but they also don't want the controller to have the power. And then the drone says, oh yeah, one last thing. The cost of all of this is that one of you is going to die. So this leads to like a 
another super fucked up situation where we switch to Cassie's perspective. Again, Rachel's like, where the fuck was I during all of this? And that's when they just like drop on the side. She was in a re-education camp because bold females were not accepted. So she was being taught to be meek and to accept, you know, Which, whatever. <clears throat> that was really confusing because it's like, why was she confused about her existence? Why wasn't she just there? And then she like pops back into this reality and been like, oh man, you guys, I was just in a re-education camp. Like, why was she yeah. confused about that? I was very upset about that in the book also, because everyone else remembers where they were right. and how they got there. So why didn't she? I was also mad that they just had a, like, exact replacement for her and Melissa. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I didn't feel like that was realistic because everything else in this book is realistic. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> Why was it Touché. a love interest with Tobias? Like, why couldn't it be a Marco love interest? Like, Ooh. I, I feel like Ooh. I feel like it should not have been an exact replacement for her. Uh huh. Oh, that would have been awesome. I love that. Yeah. Like, I assume she was just there to like be the the weird wrench in the in the introduction, just as like a narrative device. But yeah, I oh man. It's like, if you're going to be in this bizarro world, like, bizarre it up, you know? Yeah, and also, we never find out if Chapman is still, like, one of the controllers, which is her dad, so. Oh, that's Melissa! Oh, shit, I just realized. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, it's been a while, y'all. Well, it's been since book two, I think, since we heard from her. Yeah, Yeah. I had no recollection of her. It's okay, we're like (laughs) 30 books in. So, yeah, I mean, that would have been a really interesting, like, she was an interesting choice to place in there anyways. Um, But yeah, I would have, that would have been awesome to see her, like, with Marco, and maybe we even start in Tobias's perspective, and it's like how much he liked Rachel, but for Melissa, that would have been a cool triangle. Yeah, it's like (laughs) they don't even know Rachel exists and I don't know when she would have been sent to her concentration camp or whatever, but... I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the rules of this dystopian world. Ugh. Yeah, it's very weird. But yeah, why doesn't she remember? Yeah, that was weird. Unless, like, the whole premise of this was they, like, fucked with her brain so badly in an experiment so she was compliant but because oh. she had, like, no self-awareness, that could be. <laughs> like, I'm partially okay that they didn't, like, get too far into the the complex details of this Nazi-verse, because, ew. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Also, um, at some point, Marco starts morphing into a grizzly bear, which oh, in, yeah. in this weird verse <laughs> is, like, his favorite morph. And when the droid sets it back, he's still morphing. And then... You know, once they're back to their normal selves, he, like, demorphs. And I'm like, what if he just, like, broke the space-time continuum because he doesn't actually have a grizzly bear morph? <laughs> like, the, the Elemist and Cryak and the Drode can control all of space and time, but this one glitch in their programming yes. just destroyed the universe. Yeah, <laughs> and this book just it's ends. Like, what is like... he demorphing from now? <laughs> that would have been awesome if it was, like... And then Marco, still demorphing from Grizzly Bear, caused this ripple, and then the book just, like, fades out. (laughs) It's just, like, 200 blank pages. Uh, That would have been great. That would have been an awesome book to release, I think. Jesus. I'd say we should write that, but really it's just erasing. Like, a lot. That will be at my reading level, because... (laughs) 
<laughs> 15 <laughs> pages in. <laughs> That's my type of book. That's, I, I can get through that in a couple hours. <laughs> same. Same. But yeah, this... Okay. I'll get back into this book because it's... We got a lot to talk about or not talk about and just awkwardly trail off not knowing what to say. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's, yeah, Rachel, we find out she went to her re-education camp, um, and this, of course, Rachel is now the most vocal about, like, we're gonna go and we're gonna fight this out because nobody puts me in my place. Nobody <laughs> puts Rachel in a corner. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought when I was reading this. <sighs> but yeah, she's very affronted. Um, but Cassie and Marco, they're kind of having a weird, like, you know, talking through looks alone conversation. Because they've both realized that if one of them has to die and the cryak has anything to do with this, that it's going to be Jake. Mm -hmm. And neither of them want to lose Jake, obviously. Like, no one wants to lose Jake. But it's Marco's best friend and Cassie's boyfriend, so they they really don't want to lose Jake. Um, and they think Jake knows that he's going to die as well, but he's like, one life to millions of lives, it's absolutely no contest. You know, we're going, one of us is going to die, that's just how it's going to be. Um, Axe agrees to follow him to whatever doom because it's his prince because you know whatever um, Marco eventually makes some stupid joke about how like he can't live in a world where the only video game is Pong so he's gonna go um, but he, he after he makes that stupid joke he kind of like turns around and has this moment where he like starts crumbling like you know knowing oh. that Jake's about to die Fuck. Uh, and then Cassie's like yeah she'll go whatever um, and then they make a weird promise to each other when they have, like, an aside moment that neither of them is going to let Jake die. They're just not going to let it happen. And I love I it. Know, I love I this alliance. <laughs> I love this alliance, especially after the sickness. Ooh, uh, Ooh, where, uh. um, thank you, where they were uh, at odds again because of Cassie wanting to save the Yerks. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that the next book they have this weird alliance. Yep. Cut to Rachel, who starts screaming at the drode. You can't just drop us wherever this time. We have to have time to pack. She's dropped suddenly in front of a knight. <laughs> and his horse is rearing and panicking at two girls suddenly appearing in front of him. I don't think that's accurate. I don't think many horses would freak out at two humans just appearing. It must happen all the time, right? Probably. Probably. I wouldn't be startled. But <laughs> especially for a war charger, I don't think uh. this would. Yeah. That's a good point. But whatever. He has a dumb horse, I guess. He has <laughs> the dumbest horse of all the French horses. So, um, yeah, the knight starts questioning them, and he's like, I'm assuming, what the fuck are you doing, and how did you get here? But he's speaking in French, so Cassie is like, um, I only got a B- minus on my one semester of French that I took, so I don't know. Um, and the knight then starts accusing them of being English spies, and... Cassie's like, ah, espionage, I got it, we're spies. And she's, like, really, really proud of herself. But, like, as you might have guessed, her chanting, spies, 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 in French next to a French soldier, like, it didn't really convince the, the knight that, like, they were not spies. So. What? If you really were a spy, would you just continue saying that you were? I would, because then they don't expect that you're a spy. Oh. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> it didn't work in this case <laughs> it didn't that's why the first time we went to an escape room when they were like don't look in the ceiling tiles i'm like oh i'm looking in the ceiling tiles and they're like no please please don't I'm like, oh i'm going right to the ceiling tiles <laughs> so i mean 
I just, I appreciate that sort of, you know, subversive thing. But yeah, the knight does not. The knight is just like, yeah, these are fucking spies for sure. Um, and then he calls over like many knight companions and Rachel's like, this is fine and starts morphing. Despite Cassie being like, hey, this isn't a great idea to morph in front of French soldiers that are from this medieval time and thinks that we're spies. And it doesn't matter. Rachel's going to do it anyways. And one of the knights charges her. So Cassie tries to grab at the lance, but that's stupid. And she only ends up like falling over with the horse above her. She, I guess she like grabbed the tip of it or whatever and kind of like got it into the dirt. But whatever, the horse freaks out again. And then she kicks the horse in its knee with her tiny human feet. Her bare tiny human child feet. Like, she's like, it hurt my foot, but that was enough to, like, knock the horse a little so it stumbled. Okay. I don't think so. I don't think so either. (laughs) But, hey, that's... Apparently it, like, just threw him... This is, like, the fucking dumbest horse. This is the worst horse. Like, maybe if it was, like an arabian or some smaller built breed <laughs> like but like horse. war horses yeah war horses were big colossal things yeah and they even mention that later when jake gets yeah. his war horse morph they're like they're fucking intense they're not delicate little horse flowers <laughs> <laughs> what if it was a shetland and she just knocked it over? <laughs> oh no that's so sad. and <laughs> yeah so this is Whatever, but she knocked it away just enough that the lance misses Rachel, who is morphing to elephant, because why not? I mean, it is one of the things that they say horses are always terrified of. It's like ropes, snakes, like one and the same, fire and elephants apparently are the top three that horses will not fuck with. So good move, I guess. Um, Cassie then bolts into the woods because she's like, they're not going to see me morphing and starts going to wolf as fast as possible. She almost gets stabbed because as she's going to Wolf, someone comes up behind her, but she realizes they're there and has just enough time to duck down so that his sword goes into the tree and gets stuck, and then she growls at him, and he, like, runs away, like, I'm not fucking with this anymore. Um, And then she goes to help Rachel, who now has a giant spear sticking out of her side and is just getting cut to ribbons by these knights just charging around her. Um... So she's managed to get one knight off of his horse and is holding him in her trunk. And the other knight has turned and is now charging her down with a sword. So Cassie goes ahead, jumps up at him, knocks him out of the saddle, lands on top of him on the ground. And while he's struggling, she starts thought speaking to him, saying, don't move unless he wants to get stomped. And it's about this time that Jake and Marco just walk in on this scene (laughs) and are like, what the fuck, Rachel? Like, why is this happening? What the fuck, Richard? (laughs) <laughs> god damn those vine compilations <laughs> so jake's like we've just successfully snuck around all of the guards we're like great this is gonna go well we're gonna sneak in we'll be in and out of here no problem and then much to our surprise we walk in on this scene and like it's i'm assuming comically frozen in place are rachel holding the knight above her elephant head in her trunk and cassie snarling on top of this knight on the ground with horses just running amok in the background. <laughs> this, this is how I picture this. I appreciated Jake's sarcasm when talking to Rachel. Yeah. He did he did get very I'd say displeased sarcastic with her. Yes. <laughs> uh, so it yeah, he's just not happy at all. 
Um, this is not made better by Tobias and X, who then show up as birds of prey. And Tobias goes, I told you, we just follow the sound of screaming and we'd find Rachel. Wow. It's like, not helping, dude. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, also, they were accused of being witches at some point during this whole thing. So they go to interrogate the knight to be like, what is the date? And um, the guy's like, I don't parlay with witches. And Marco's like, we're not witches. And also, I just saved your life from the witches. So tell me what day it is. And he's like, it is the age of Charles the Sixth, And this battle is between the French and the English. And they're like, this doesn't help us. We don't know anything about this battle. No. <laughs> so they're like, whatever. Let's just find Visor 4 and call it a day. Um, cut to Marco's perspective, where he's just flying around looking for this guy. And they're like, they've been wheeling around for hours and hours, just morphing, demorphing, looking. And Marco's been, like, noticing how disgusting all of these guys are. He's like, their teeth are rotting out of their heads. Their face is... All sorts of, like, pockmarked from disease and acne and all sorts of things they didn't have cures for in this era. Acne? Gross! Um, (laughs) This book is very serious stance on acne, okay? (laughs) (laughs) This entire series, if if you remember the Helmicron book, where Cassie's like, imagine a zit the size of your entire body. (laughs) It's a very hard hard line on acne. Secret acne vendetta. (laughs) Not too secret. (laughs) wash your face kids <laughs> that's the psa here oh god and brush your teeth actually yeah and don't drive drunk Matt, and, don't, and wear a helmet <laughs> just at all times just just to be sure jesus oh my god yeah so that's that's happening and marco's like everyone's gross and disgusting and we hate them all and they're all raggedy <laughs> as fuck and then he's like Everybody, look for a guy that's clean. And they're all like, Marco, what the fuck? He's like, he won't have lice, and that'll be Fizzer 4. And they're like, ah, genius. So eventually they spot a guy that looks clean. He's wearing terrible clothing. They, like, talk about how it looks like it's stitched together with, like, a ballpoint pen and, like, twine or something like that. I don't know. It's very interesting description. Um, But he's an English archer. And the English troops are starting to move. So they're like, all right, follow that line of people. That's where our guy is. And uh, then they, as they're like observing this whole scene, they start to notice that the English are preparing for battle and the French are just fucking off somewhere else. Um, Then they see all of the archers draw their bows and point them straight up, straight at all the Animorphs. So Marco's like, oh, we're fucked. And immediately gets caught up in this hail of arrows. The first barrage send sent one arrow right through one of his wings. He's like, well, I can still fly, just kind of crooked. So he tries to, like, zigzag along the front lines of all the soldiers. He's just trying to, like, kind of stay airborne and out of the way until he can find somewhere to land and and fix his wing issue. Um, Unfortunately, it doesn't work because the arrows are still being fired everywhere, and now the lines are getting ready to charge each other. And they eventually do, and the French line starts, like, just coming in with all of these crazy intense horses and falling on these, like, broken spikes that I guess the English have set up, but they haven't set them up well, so then the English are all screaming and dying, and the French are all screaming and dying, and then the archers change direction, and they come directly at Marco again, and he just gets super fucked up, tries to, like, get out of there, strains his wing, and crumples into the ground and passes out. He did not do well in that battle. No, that really was, that was a loss. On that Marco's was <laughs> that was a loss. <laughs> that 
That was a hard loss on, on Marco's thing. So now we get this crazy fucking scene. I'm going to do my best to describe it, but this chapter was kind of confusing. Um, so let me try to run through it. But uh, we cut to Rachel's perspective. She saw Marco crumple to the ground. She's like, I'm going to go after him. She's a bald eagle. She dives to try and grab him and lift him out of there. Jake yells for her to stop. She does, and as she does, like, arrows come up, like, right under her belly. And, uh, she, like, manages to not get hit, but as soon as the arrows pass her, she starts diving again, trying to make herself a small target. She gets Marco, like, talons him, gets him in her claws. She's trying to lift him up, but he's, like, covered in mud, weighing her down. And then the foot soldiers charge each other. So they also then get caught up in the second line of charging, um, where everybody's, like, bearing down on the two of them, and they can't get airborne fast enough. At the same time, Cassie comes running out of the trees. She's morphed into a horse, so she's running directly at them. The lines kind of close in on them, but Cassie gets them a few seconds after the soldiers have all crashed around them. They grab her legs with their talons and somehow sink them into her delicate horse legs with all of those tendons right fucking there. And she just starts running with these birds attached to her legs, but then somebody spears her through the flank and she falls down, crushing Rachel and Marco below her. And then Rachel's like, this is how we die. That was confusing. That was a confusing chapter. Oh, this is interesting. In this next chapter, I spelled battle B-A-T-T-E-L. Mattel. It's like Mattel. Barbie. (laughs) Maybe that's how it's spelled in the alternate future universe. Oh, yeah. Maybe I was becoming part of the alternate universe. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe doing this in this battle made them spell it battle, and now forever we shall spell it this way. Ooh. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> um, we finally get to Axe's perspective. So Casey is happy, finally. My boy! We finally made it to her boy. Um, he's seeing this battle below them, and he's trying to make some sense of it. He's watching, like, the knights, and he's like, ah, I finally understand artificial skins. Finally, they make sense. And then he's going, oh no, but the archers, they can move so nimbly. That artificial skin makes sense, too, in this instance. And, uh, like, while he's going through all of that artificial skin talk, (laughs) Tobias and Jake are arguing about going into battle because Tobias is like, I have to go save them. Rachel is down there, and Jake is like, it is a suicide mission. Do not do this thing. (laughs) <laughs> and then Axe is like, oh, I found Visor 4 again. And he's, like, watching him climb through trees and be, like, a shady fucking guy. <laughs> and then shady fuck. <laughs> he is being a shady fuck. Um, he watches him, like, drawing the bow and taking aim. And Axe sees him, like, lock onto a guy who has a gold circle on his head. And he's like, Jake, is this man important? And Jake's like, a gold circle? Oh, yeah, that's a crown. That's the king. And he's like, ah, Visor 4 is trying to shoot the king. And Jake is like, oh no, get him, Axe. But the only one close enough to even attempt it is Tobias. And Tobias is angry at Jake, if you remember from a moment before, when Jake told him that it was a suicide mission and he can't save Rachel. So, yeah. Yeah, this is a weird power struggle that I was not expecting for any reason. I like how Jake is, like, the most worried about messing up the time continuum. Tobias is worried about Rachel, and Axe is worried about Visor 4. It, like, it lets you know how high the stakes are to have all of these different, like, concerns come to come to a head like that. I didn't think of it that way, but yeah, that is, <laughs> that is very true. And it also, now that I'm thinking about it, it kind of does make a... 
sense like with what their positions are like jake's always looking at the bigger picture mm-hmm. and axe is always looking at like you know the alien side of the problem mm-hmm. tobias is a sensitive little boy rachel mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes precisely <laughs> even though you know marco and cassie are also there we could you know, <laughs> they're an rachel. afterthought they don't yeah. matter quite as much true Aww. true but you know Aww. um but yeah, so Tobias is angry at Jake and Axe because they only care about the mission. And he's like, we gotta rescue our friends. But uh, he sees Visitor 4 anyways, and he watches him take aim at the king, shoot, and miss, and hit a young French soldier. Um, and then Visitor 4 draws another arrow, and Tobias is like, fine, I'll take care of this. And he like screeches in, and right as Visitor 4 releases the arrow, Tobias makes a crazy grab and manages to snag it in one foot. And then, like, by the feathers, barely. And then he's like, cool, I've done it. I caught this arrow midair. It's now someone else's problem. And uh, he decides he's going to go morph polar bear and just fuck up the battle. I wonder so. how long it would have taken Visor 4 to shoot the king. Because, like, unless he's had, unless his host body has had some previous archery experience, unless mm-hmm. there's so many people that you can't possibly miss, I feel like he wouldn't, it would take him a really long time to hit the king. Yeah, it didn't sound like he had very much archery experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like, didn't Tobias say something like an experienced archer could have made the shot, but... Yeah. Yeah. And those bows back in those days were much harder to aim with than current day bows. Uh Uh-huh. Based on the experience I have at the Renaissance Fair. (laughs) (laughs) Completely accurate experience. Especially if you're in a tree. Yeah. There's like there's well, a lot of like factors going on. Like if I if I stand on the ground with a bow, like I I've been shooting for a while very inconsistently, but I don't think I could hit a moving target just on the ground. Well, the other thing to keep in mind here, if we're looking at the English side of the battle, they'd most likely have one of two bows. They'd have the English longbow or the Marahith, which are the giant ones they shoot off the top of the castle that are a uh-huh. 70 pounds draw weight. So let's just say he has an English longbow because that's what he has, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the draw weight on this is going to be what? For shooting all day in battle, 30 pounds tops? Like, if this guy isn't close enough, he's not getting hit with that arrow. Yeah. And I just can't imagine, like, climbing up into a tree with a longbow, number one, is the most bullshit thing ever. Yeah, no way. And, like, trying to find a branch that has enough space for you to aim this longbow. And then, try like... I mean, there's a finite limit on how much he he would be able to draw and shoot with this thing. Yeah, especially while so. trying to stay on the tree without falling. Yeah, like, they probably could have just waited him out. Like, let's all just land in this tree and, like, watch him shoot for 45 minutes, and then he'd be too tired to keep shooting. <laughs> right. And he'd just give up and, like, go home. Like, also, go ahead. was he pretending to be on the English side? Mm-hmm. That's the impression I got. Would I feel like someone else on the English side would have noticed him trying to shoot at their king and been like, what are you doing? <laughs> what the fuck, man? I mean, yeah. Like, what are you doing in a tree? Get down here. <laughs> Any one of these things. <laughs> there are uh, many things wrong with this picture. Yeah. I mean... <sighs> although, I don't know, like, at that time in history how different the uniforms of the English and the French were. True. I don't know either. 
Fuck it. Well, I'll do some more research into that because I do not claim to be any sort of expert. Although I have been to medieval times, so maybe I am an expert. <laughs> I've been to a Ren Fair once. I think I know what I'm talking about. I need that on a t-shirt. <laughs> They're definitely historically accurate at the Ren Fair. Hell yeah. I would have to strongly agree they are historically accurate as fuck at all times. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but you can buy an entire sassafras there, and I'm pretty sure that's medievally correct. Oh my god, I love sassafras. Uh, they don't allow strollers, like, anywhere, and I think that that's accurate. They allow strollers everywhere. Well, except in all of the, like, the stands and everything. Oh. I don't think you can. Well, that, that's just because it'd be hard to get one up there. Probably. Yeah, just like medieval times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Strollers are convenient to have there, though, because you can put all your stuff in them. And leave the baby. And Just leave the baby. <laughs> baby uh, parking. I would leave a baby at a rent fair. <laughs> oh, no. They're going to raise them much better than I could. It's true. It takes a village, and I know where a village is. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, uh, so, anyways, let's talk more about these children. <laughs> Yeah, so Tobias catches this arrow, which we didn't even get into the physics of arrows and how this is impossible. But just know it is impossible. It's badass. Or extremely unlikely. And very badass. It is. So, it it was pretty cool, though. Um, So, yeah. Uh, Then we switch to Cassie's perspective. She is dying as a horse. She's bleeding out. She is laying on top of Rachel and Marco. And she refuses to move because her body is shielding them. She's afraid if she gets up, which she doesn't know if she can or cannot do, uh, that they will be killed because of all the crazy shit going on around them. So Jake's like, don't worry about it. We're sending in a distraction so the three of you can get up and leave. They were sending in the devil. (laughs) Um, And then a moment later, a horquager riding a horse makes its way onto the battlefield and it brings everything to a screeching halt because... All of the men just, like, stop, and as soon as they see this thing, they just drop to their knees and start praying for their lives. And, like, even the king is amazed and, like, staring at this thing, like, what the fuck? Um, And this gives Cassie a chance to, like, stagger up to her feet and, like, make it off the battlefield and start to demorph. And that's when Axe is like, I'm keeping Visor 4 busy, but we have to get over here now to deal with this guy. So, um, Axe has followed Visor 4 as a bird, and he's, like, kind of diving, making swipes at his head when he gets a chance. But Visor 4 is just, like, you know, calling him all sorts of, like, hatred sort of name kind of thing. He's just being a regular yerk dick. (laughs) Ah, the Andalite filth, well, you know, the usual. Um, and Axe is like, do I stop and do I morph to something useful and risk losing him, or do I just keep following him? And he chose, like, okay, I'll just keep following him. I can't afford to lose him because he'll lead us to the time matrix. Um, Visor 4 tried to shoot arrows back at Axe, but he is very bad at archery, (laughs) and Axe is like, I don't even have to dodge. Like, (laughs) it's, he's just missing me very badly. Um, he leads Axe to the nearby village where they arrive at some sort of a church and there's a tower and Visor 4 like runs into the church, slams the door to block Axe and Axe is like, no, I need my hands. And the time matrix is definitely in this church tower. Um, and so he's trying to demorph just his little hands out of the front of his Oh my God, cute and gross. (laughs) 
It's so gross. This is like a hairy like with a... like little hands instead of little <laughs> andalite hands. Ew. Except they wouldn't come out the feet. They would come out the wings. Oh, I hate that even more. But would they come out the wings because he has four legs? So oh, um, I don't even know. Knows. Yeah, it's a whole thing. This is a whole situation that's happening. Oh God, it's like cat face dog hands, and I hate it. <laughs> it's like the entire subreddit of birds with arms. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, so he just he gets tiny little arms, and then the villagers spot him and start attacking him with pitchforks. As you do back Yay. in those days. Mm-hmm. That is historically accurate. Yes. Yeah. And also, we know we've been to a run fair. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody help my boy. Um, they're gonna try to help your boy because they heard him crying for help. And they're, they're just gonna go over there. So Tobias is riding on Jake, who's morphed to a war charger horse that they got off a dead French soldier. And they're uh, running after him to go help him. And they find him, like, mostly Andalite, but still covered in feathers. And Tobias manages to open the door for him with his hork hands. And they all, like, tumble through into the church. They hear bells clanging. They're like, no, the Time Matrix must be in the bell tower. So they, like, slice and smash their way through doors and, like, run upstairs, and they come up through a trap door just in time to see Visor 4 touching the Time Matrix. He gives them some weird idle threat because he is a yerk and then vanishes. I enjoyed when Tobias was in front of the priest or whatever mm-hmm. in his devil form, and it reminded me of Seinfeld, <laughs> which I don't know if you... Did you watch Seinfeld? Either of you? I've seen a few no. episodes, okay. but like not religiously. There is a sporting team called the Devils. I don't know. Maybe hockey. I don't know. Anyways, so one of the characters like is all into it. He like paints his face red. He writes devils across his chest. <laughs> and like he's on his way to this game and they're doing really good. I don't know if they're in the playoffs or what, but he like comes across a priest in a cab and he's just like looks in the window of the car and starts screaming the devils at this priest. And this, the priest is just like, oh my god. <laughs> I love that. So it reminded me of that. That's amazing. That's... <laughs> I've never wanted to watch Seinfeld more in my life. They had some good stuff. <laughs> there were some good jokes. Oh, that's funny. I enjoy that. Okay, now we get to like the most fucked up part of the book. Yeah. Well, I mean... Well, that's not true at all, but um, I think from an internal perspective, of from the children's perspective, the most fucked up part of the book. Still probably not true, but... Anyway, let's just get to it, because <laughs> things get intense. Um, Jake, who is still morphed into this horse, is dropped in front of some strange guys that are speaking English, and he says their accent is a mix of country bumpkin and, like, proper, like, England English. So they start talking about, like, marching and Hessians, and Jake is, like, scrambling to remember, like, what that means and where they could be. Um, And then a guy comes marching past that Jake's like, you wouldn't know who he was, other than the fact that everyone is whispering, Washington, as he goes past. Here comes the general! I was just about to say, we've made it to the Hamilton portion of our evening. Yes! So many Hamilton things happening right now. Oh, in God. your last podcast, you brought up Hamilton. You're like, I don't know if that's correct. And I wanted just to be out of the blue correct or text you and be like, that was correct. Just and you'd have no idea what I was talking about. But I would feel assured and also correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that matters. Like, she does not know I'm listening to her podcast right now. <laughs> so I, still I probably shouldn't just respond to things. <laughs> You still should, though. Like, I would appreciate that. I will in the future. 
Like, just imagine how delightful your day would be if, like, you're just sitting there working on something, like, God, life sucks, and all of a sudden it's like, you are correct. Life does okay. suck. <laughs> yeah, Thank you for validating me. You're right. <laughs> what if I was looking at it, like, man, I wonder if I should quit my job. You are correct. All right, I'm quitting. <laughs> that's I got your text. I quit my job. I, I, I left all my friends and family. I'm running away to start a new life. No, I just meant about fucking Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, Marco then like makes his way next to Jake as a human, and he was like, hey, I, I heard you calling for us, but I couldn't respond because I was a human. And then there's a whole conversation about, like, where did you get those boots? And we find out Marco stole Washington's extra set of boots. <laughs> <laughs> like, just, it's a whole thing. I just picture, like, this, like, five-foot kid in these, like, giant boots. <laughs> exactly. That are, like, falling down his legs and, like, crumpling up around the ankles. Oh, my God. And, like, a coat that's way too large. Yeah. Yeah. And no pants. I don't know why. I just pictured the coat would go down to his knees and he just wouldn't bother with the pants. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, God. But, whatever. They join the march towards the shore. And uh, Rachel appears next in her bald eagle morph, and Jake's like, go find Visor 4, that's the most important thing. And then Jake's like, wait, Visor 4 will be after Washington. So he's like, no, don't find Visor 4, stay with Washington, protect him at all costs. And they're all like, this was such a weird thing to say as a child, protect George Washington at all costs. Um, So Rachel's flying around, watching out for George Washington, and Marco is leading Jake into the woods to demorph. And Rachel's like, why is it only the three of us? And then a second later, right in front of her, Cassie just pops into existence. And she's like, oh, wow, this is weird. Um, She quickly explains to Cassie, who is in complete disbelief that George Washington is there. uh, And then she's like, well, I'm going to go dolphin and go in the river. And they're like, okay, I guess that's a plan. Um, (laughs) That's a thing. Tobias and Axe. That's the thing, I guess. Tobias and Axe show up next, and Tobias immediately recognizes George Washington for <laughs> no reason. Like, I, it took me so far out of this book when he was like, that's the real George Washington. And everybody's like, how? Why? Why do you know this? Like, what the fuck? Um, Axe is observing the situation and seems concerned because there are guys on the other side of the river, and they're like, don't worry about it. We're glad they're there. Uh. And, uh foreshadowing Uh, nobody listens to axe no because they thought they were more of the guys that they wanted to be on the other side of the river as opposed to the guys they didn't want on the other side of the river Mm -hmm. they thought they knew this history they did they did think they knew this history (laughs) they should like really brush up on their history when they get back to their own time just for future time traveling purposes it made me feel better about my lack of history knowledge that they also had no knowledge. Yeah. <sighs> it did make me feel a lot better. I did Google a lot of the wars from this book just because I had no idea some of them even existed. So I'm like, I'm going to check this. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were true. Yes. I still like the one that... um the first one, the English battle, that one I, I still was like, I no recollection of it beyond this Animorphs book. I even looked up the Shakespeare book that they yeah. said was written. Was I didn't it? read it, oh. but it was <laughs> written. <laughs> he did write something. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't do that research. 
but that's okay. I did listen to the Hamilton soundtrack, so I feel like I'm extremely well prepared. Yeah. You are. For this battle. For this specifically. specific. I saw battle. Hamilton. Yeah. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even see Hamilton. I listened to the audio soundtrack later. Yeah, good enough. Matt, I... Now I'm realizing how prepared we are for this because we went to the Renaissance Fair. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. We listen to Hamilton. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Man, I know more about history than I thought. I read a book about pirate flags too, so <laughs> it feels perfect. Oh, yeah. Particularly prepared for a chapter, the next chapter. Yeah. Um, I also read Temeraire. Yeah. Which mentions Trafalgar. Yeah. Okay. Um, also, I did watch. The movie about NASA, which makes me feel like I just have the general Princeton kind of knowledge base. Which movie about NASA? You know, the Hidden Figures. Oh, I love that movie. It's a great movie. So I feel like I, I have a general like feeling of the time frame around that whole okay. other chapter. I have not heard of that movie, but I saw Apollo 13. So you're prepared as well. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I think we're experts we got this covered i took a lot of physics so that's gonna be my knowledge of later chapters i went to art school and that has never helped me in life (laughs) (laughs) i I don't know if my physics has helped me much either if that makes you feel better now that we've all graduated with our masters in history yeah um, (laughs) would you like to know what happens next i would i feel like i don't even need to tell you because we're all so good at history Uh but because this is alternate future i will tell you (laughs) because it might be a little different than you know what we know to be the truth so um jake and marco make it onto one of the boats to cross the delaware i didn't write it down it is yes. Delaware. See, I told you I knew history. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was easy since no one wanted to go and no one was paying attention because it was sleeting on them and the weather was horrible. So they were all like hunkered down on the boat and they're like, I literally don't give a single fucking shit what you do in this boat. So they hop on in. Nobody cares. Uh, they share a very patriotic moment looking lovingly at George Washington. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's what happens. Oh. And then they take another moment to criticize the painting, saying it was not accurate. He's not standing on the bow of the boat with one foot, pointing something forward, probably, I would guess. I looked at the painting. I I remembered it, and I think that's what it looks like. Am I right? Sounds about right. Okay. I mean, it was last night, so I don't remember much. (laughs) Shannon was very thorough. She's, like, looking things up and, like... I know. I just kind of assumed that I knew things. I mean, obviously, we do know a lot. We do. Everything we say is correct, but... Yeah. I was less confident in my history skills. I have none, but I do remember the painting, because I think we did have to look at it for art history, like, 18 plus times. Also, I did have to repeat art history one year because of a shitty teacher, but I digress. So, uh, it's not like the painting apparently, because they're all hunkered down in this miserable weather and everything's terrible. Uh, that's about when they hear the sounds of muskets being fired in a very distinct volley and men yelling, turn back, they were betrayed. This is a part that's not in history, so mm-hmm. this is why it sounds different than usual. Um, the boy in front of Marco was hit and his dead body slumps back and his head lands in Marco's lap um, and he is very, very dead. And then Jake is shot directly in the forehead and falls into the river below. Oh, and because that, shit. where Marco saw the perfect round ball go through the front of his forehead, wasn't graphic enough, 
Rachel saw Jake get shot as an eagle and saw the complete aftermath of the hole being blown out the backside of his head where everything was just completely gone before he falls off the boat and, like, the others all start pushing Jake's body out of the boat because they have to, like, get the dead bodies out of there and Marco's trying to grab him and pull him back in. But, oh like, the s- several on one, so they push Jake's body out into the river below. Hooray! Hooray! Oh, God! It looks yeah. like rated R now. It gets brutal, for sure. Like, um, and then Rachel calls out to Cassie to get Jake's body. And she's like, it's going to be a challenge because there are a lot of dead bodies in the water. Just in case, you know, shit didn't get real enough. Um, that's when Washington gets shot in the arm and Rachel's like, oh god, those are the Hessians on the other side of the river. Those are not our allies. And that was the change that Visser 4 made. He warned them that, wa- he warned the Hessians that Washington was on his way and what should have been a surprise attack where they overtook them turned into an ambush. So Axe is on the ground on the other side and she yells at him that his prince is dead and he needs to do his duty and avenge him. And Axe is like, what the fuck? But he's like, she is right. I do have to avenge my prince. So he goes running through the woods and uh, he is the only one that is in a position to stop the Hessians. So he gets to the troops and starts knocking them out with the flat of his tail blade. The whole run over, he was debating like, do I kill them? Do I not kill them? So Axe had his own weird moment of like, what do I do? Um, they're troop leader tells them to fire their guns on axe uh, and as they level their guns to begin shooting axe leaps over their heads and then singles out the general and like he gets ready to behead this guy he pulls his tail blade back he's about to like snap it and behead him when they jump again and us into cassie's perspective um cassie is looking through the river for jake's dead body he she's going through all of the bodies that are floating and sinking and bobbing around and uh finally she finds him and starts to take him towards the shore. Like, she gets him up on her back and is slowly swimming there. Um, out of the freezing water. And then all of a sudden, she is in warm water and Jake's body is gone. She starts echolocating around, but there's nothing as far as she can see. Uh, she does a few jumps and she can see some ships in the distance with really large masts and sails. But Jake is gone. And so she completely retreats into the dolphin brain so she doesn't have to deal with the grief and just starts swimming away. Oh no! Yes, it is terrible and awful. This is all bad. It's all bad. And she and Marco were not able to protect Jake like they wanted to. It's very sad. (sighs) Um, And then what's also sad is uh, Tobias's perspective. Where we cut through him flying over, watching Axe tearing through the enemy lines. And he wanted to stop him, but he couldn't fathom how to do this. He's like, I can't just tell him no because he's already doing this thing. Um, But this thought is interrupted because he needs to dodge a large white sail coming at him out of nowhere. Um, They had jumped again to another battle, but this one with pirate ships. So he starts calling for everybody but nobody's responding. He sees a lone dolphin, like, just swimming in the distance. He goes, oh, well, it's not responding. It's just a dolphin, which is sad because we know it's Cassie. Oh, no. I know. It's very sad. Uh, So he starts scouting out these ships, which are just bristling with cannons. The men are all on the deck and running around and doing shit that cannons need, like shoving shit in them and (laughs) fire and shit. You know, cannon maintenance, general. Yeah. That's exactly how cannons are maintained. 
Thank you. <laughs> okay, well, I didn't know you wanted me to get into everything I know about canon maintenance. <laughs> but, but we know everything. It's we're true. His, and We're historians. We are historians, and I will have you know that today there is a canon event going on where I could be going to fire a real cannon right now, but I'm not going what? so we can record what this the... podcast. You it's also a bake terrible. sale choice. Oh. Bake uh, sale and cannon firings. Man, that sounds like the dream. We'll have to go next time. Yeah. To this bake sale and cannon fire. <laughs> I'm amazed you have never told me about this before. Actually, I am too. I don't know why I haven't. Um, a friend of Mike's made a cannon and fired it off at our 4th of July party a couple times. Mm-hmm. And we had the cops called on us. Every time <gasps> or just once? They just came once. Um, I don't know. We have some neighbors that do not like fun. <laughs> <laughs> or cannon fire. We've had the cops called a couple times. And, like, I don't know. We're not that rowdy. No. I mean. But, and it was 4th of July. Yeah. During the day. So a cannon goes off. No big deal. <laughs> I don't understand what they were freaking out about. It seems perfectly reasonable to me. It did. But yeah, cannons. There's cannons. Where am I? Okay, got it. Uh, right. He calls for the lone dolphin. It's not responding. A ton of cannons. Blah blah blah. Um, and then he takes the opportunity to fly below decks to check out like what the fuck they have down there because why wouldn't you? Where else are you gonna go? And he finds a map and he can see that the ship is in the Atlantic Ocean and it's headed towards Trafalgar and he decides he needs to morph to human so he can move around and find Visor 4 and dump him in the ocean. Dump Visor 4 in the ocean, that is. Um, Cut to Marco's perspective. Marco and Axe pop up together behind some large coils of rope and they're kind of trapped. They're on like a weird graded floor, which I immediately imagine like Pirates of the Caribbean where the floor is like those giant like iron grid square things that are open. So um, Axe's tiny little hooves keep slipping through them. And uh, Marco then pukes all over the place because of Jake's body. He apologizes to Axe and Axe is like, for what? And he's just like, because, you know, children's books, puke jokes are funny. Um, And then they're like, okay, well, let's like look out of here and see what's happening. So they can kind of see like above the ropes into the room that's, you know, in front of them. And uh, as they they poke out of there to see what's going on, they watch Visor 4 club an Asian man to death. Hooray! Out of nowhere. And Marco starts whispering to Axe that they need to morph and get out of there. But Axe is like, fuck this, fuck that, fuck them. And just starts cutting through all the ropes. Like, they don't need these fucking ropes. We're getting the fuck out of here as fast as possible. So, um, that happens and they make it out. (laughs) And it's all fine. So, uh, Marco tells Axe to catch up when he can and starts following the bloody footprints to Visor 4. While morphing Gorilla. He finds him in a hallway where Visor 4 is leaving a trail of gunpowder. And Marco's like, I wasn't ready, he wasn't ready, but I'm gonna fuck this guy up. So, he, uh, he's like, hey man, what's going on? And Visor 4 spins around, and Marco goes to punch him, but just then the ship kind of, like, bucks under, like, a large wave or a volley of gunfire, and Visor 4 ducks out of the way, and Marco starts chasing after him. Um, we cut to Rachel's perspective. She appeared on the deck in her morphing leotard, and all of the men were creeps. Every single yeah. one of them. Yeah. Like, they all turned to stare at her and were like, oh, a woman. <laughs> See, I was half expecting him to be like, it's bad luck to have a woman aboard. You know, from Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. But no, they were all like, ew. 
A lady. Sexy. It's like, no, gross. She's 13. You're all gross. Yeah. And I hate you. And then, like, at one point, the the captain was like, everybody get back to fucking business. This is bullshit. But, like, whoever <laughs> the captain's, like, guy was, like, whoever his, his second hand was that he had, like, with her was like, oh, come below decks with me. No! I know. He's a creep. Ugh. It's a good thing you're all creep. about to die in horrible cannon fire. <laughs> <laughs> I love the cannons, though. The cannons Ugh. are friends. Um, yeah, this is actually about to be really horrible, though. Um, so Rachel didn't have long before the battle started. She basically just ignored all the creeps and just ran into battle as soon as she could. Uh, and they were on a French ship. The violence became secondary, though, because there was this guy running out from below decks. And she's like, oh, fuck, that's Visitor 4. So um, he goes and he goes like towards the rigging, starts climbing up. Marco is a gorilla, but as... Our animal moment says here, gorillas are actually not very good at climbing, which is, like, kind of true. Like, they're certainly not as good as as chimps, but they can climb. So, like, I really don't yeah. think a human would have that big of an advantage, but hey, whatever. Um, he's just too bulky. He, yeah, yeah, he's probably too bulky to move around well in the in the space, but hey. Um, so but humans aren't great at climbing either, so true. it might be a fair match. Probably more towards the gorilla, I would say. Yeah, I think the gorilla would have an advantage. Although Visor 4 did climb that tree with a longbow and That's shoot true. in the tree with the longbow. That he is could be a very skill. good climber. Yeah. He, ha- yeah. he has tree proficiency. Yes. <laughs> he rolled high in tree. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he mastered in. Yes, exactly. And he's well, like, he I've never acting. been able to use my... Uh... That's right, acting and tree climbing. He's never been able to use his degree until just now. He's... <laughs> <laughs> He knew in school that one day it would pay off. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. Unlike physics. (laughs) (laughs) Or art. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so he starts, like, climbing up the rigging, and Tobias is swooping in and, like, you know, taloning his head when he can. But, like, it's it's hard to maneuver through all of these ropes. So, um, Rachel's like, I have the perfect morph for this, and starts going to chimp. And as soon as she's morphed, she hits these ropes and just effortlessly, like, scampers up towards Visor 4. And she's like, I'm gonna fuck this guy up. So she's closing in on him, and he, like, just starts blubbering, like, I'll give you the time matrix if you let me go, and I'll let you go, and I won't fuck up anything ever again. And she's like, I'm never gonna agree to that. But she was, like, enjoying the moment of having her prey cornered, so she slowed down. And, like, she was delighting in his face, being horrified and, and all, like, you know, scared shit. Um, but then the next thing you know, suddenly she's falling away and Visor 4's face looks really pleased. And that's when she realized she's been shot in half by a cannonball. Ugh. We cut to Tobias's perspective, who sees a chimp head and shoulders and arm falling to the decks Ugh. below, with the bottom half of the chimp body still clinging to the ropes. Yikes. And he starts screaming for Rachel to demorph, knowing there would be no response by the time the chimp body hit the deck. It's so gory! This is a relatively gory book, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so, Visitor 4 starts scampering down the ropes. He's burning his hands, sliding down and screaming like the wuss he fucking is. Good. And uh, then Tobias starts heading after him. So as soon as his feet hit the deck, Tobias is, like, screaming down at him and slashes his face open, like, 
I guess, on the corner of his mouth, giving him a weird, like, have you seen my scars kind of a look. (laughs) (laughs) Want to know how I got these scars kind of thing. Why so Um, serious? Why so serious? Uh, But yeah, so he he hits the deck. It's all fine. Everything's fine. Tobias is fucking this guy up. But then he goes below decks, and Tobias is like, oh, no. Um, Axe joins in the fray when Tobias couldn't keep up in the dead air corridors anymore. And then uh, they both burst into a room where Visor 4 is standing. A gun pointed to a trail of gunpowder, and at the in the other hand, the time matrix. I mean, I guess it's touching the time matrix, whatever. Visor 4 fired and then jumped with the time matrix. Tobias yelled to Axe that this was a bomb, so Axe rushes to put it out. He swipes the powder an inch away from the bomb with his tailblade, but unfortunately his tailblade hitting the deck caused a spark and the whole thing exploded. Um, which is fine, because Tobias pops into a new space, a quiet space at the base of a tree. Uh, it seems to be a college campus with many clean-cut men walking around, all dressed in the same clothes with the same hair. He's like, yeah, there's a woman or two around, but most mostly it was men. So Tobias scouts around campus. He finds a locker room. He steals someone's clothes because, you know, whatever. He's like, I can't do anything about my shaggy hair. His shaggy, unruly hair, as we've heard it described many a time. Um, and so he just steals a book or two. And uh, that's when he opens it. <laughs> yeah. That steal probably all sorts paid for it shit. later. True, true. He did probably pay for it later. <laughs> <laughs> These aren't even real books. That's probably like $500 of book theft right there, though. Well, back in those days, not so much, though. $30 in, in of today's book. money. Uh, so he opens a book, and it says Princeton 1932. So he's like, it's sometime after 1932. And he spends some time flipping through the events of where they were, and he sees, like, you know, Washington was defeated by the Hessians because a resident local warned them. Uh, and then he died of his injuries a few days later. Um, the British Royal Fleet was lost to Spanish and French ships at the other battle. Um, and he's, like, poking around some more and, like, looking around campus. And he notices that the only flag being flown was the Union Jack. No U.S. flag, because there was no U.S. And that's when a wandering dolphin plopped into one of the hallways of the campus. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Oh. We cut to Cassie's perspective. She was just wandering the ocean in her own sorrow, letting the dolphin do its thing. Um, when all of a sudden she popped into a hallway and she's like, oh shit, I have to demorph. And then Tobias was like, oh shit, you have to demorph. And she was like, ah, okay. Um, <laughs> and she starts to, but uh, there's three guys that like are walking down this hallway very quickly after Tobias gets there. And they're like, they're going to see us, but there's nothing you can do. It doesn't matter. This future isn't even happening. So just like, you know, just fucking do it. We fucked it up so bad. Who even cares? Yeah. Everything is so fucked, it doesn't matter if they see you demorphing. Mm. Um, and these, like, weird southern gentlemen walk up and they're all like, My god, what is going on with that creature? Because they're weird southern gentlemen, and that's how they sound. And, well, um, one of them's southern. The other ones are not, I think. The main one was southern. Yeah. The main weird yeah. gentleman was southern. Yeah. And they were, of course, horrified by this twisting, morphing, dolphin, human creature. Um... Until the point where they saw she was a little black girl, and then they said terrible racist things. And that is the end of that chapter. Racism is prevalent. Yeah. Um, it was very awkward and horrifying. Yes. And but I enjoy horrible. what happens next. 
So do I. What happens next is great, and what I think of every time racism happens. So (laughs) Cassie is stunned and horrified, as we are, and uh, the guy continues to speak to her in this super fucking offensive way and call her colored folk, and Cassie just snaps, and she goes, well, that's fine, I can turn white. So she starts morphing into a polar bear and, like, has all of, like, the white tufts of fur, like, you know, shooting out. And the guy is, like, you know, he's terrified. He doesn't know what she's doing. And then all of a sudden it's a fucking polar bear. She pins him up against the wall, opens her mouth, like, twists her head so that she's covering, like, both sides of her face with her open mouth. And then roars directly into his face. And he just, like, fuck him up a lot. And she just turns him into this blubbering mess. He, like, falls down the wall, like, sobbing. And then Marco just, like, you know, walks up and says, that's so Rachel. And then Rachel walks up and goes, yeah, it is. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I like, literally before Rachel popped up, I was like, wow, Marco, too soon. But then it was fine. Yeah. Then it was fine. Um, yeah, but I really appreciated this moment of Cassie just, like. Yes. Fuck him up. I was cheering so much for her. I enjoyed Tobias's commentary during it also. Yeah. He's like, your friend's about to have a very bad day. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I might apologize if I were you. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was pretty good. Very calmly. You're about to get fucked up. Um, Yeah. So Marco and Rachel are back. And when Rachel walks up and agrees that that was a Rachel move, Tobias spins around, declares she was dead, and then kisses her. And everyone agrees Rachel was definitely dead. And then they turn their attention back to the racist guy and are like, what year is it? (laughs) This is this chapter, guys. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, Yeah. So he tells them it's 1934. They continue to interrogate this guy and find out that there was another crazy guy that was here yesterday yelling about Einstein, but because of all the changes that were made, Einstein never actually left Germany. So um, he's still there. He's not at Princeton, and they fucked up. The kids then realize they need the time matrix. They're like, listen, we can go back in time and fix everything. And then Kryak technically got his sacrifice. One of us died, but like he didn't say they have to stay dead. But also that's why the others can't die, because he got his sacrifice. So everybody else cannot actually die. They will pop back up at this point. So it's kind of become a free-for-all, I would say. Uh, Um, It's Loopholes. Loopholes, for sure. Uh, And then they're like, all right, we have this new plan. Get the time matrix at all costs. It doesn't matter if we die, because we will just come back. Um, and then they start flashing very rapidly through time. Like, uh, Berryman was just jumping from, like, year to year to year. And they realize, like, he's trying to lose them by jumping quickly through time, hoping that they will extend the lag for them and that he'll be able to, like, make changes without them getting fucked up by these guys. So um, they see many, many scenes, including, like, a mall. They go to, like, guys in togas, but, like, real togas. Uh, some ocean at some point, blah, blah, blah. And then finally they are dropped into a battle and a sergeant demands to know who they are. Um, We get Marco's perspective. He's on a ship and the sergeant is telling them to keep their weapons high and dry. And Marco's like, where the fuck are we? It turns out it is D-Day and he is on one of the ships that's about to be dropped onto the beaches. Hooray! is not a great place to be. No. And Marco's like, fuck, I just gotta get small. That's what I have to do, is get small. So he starts going to fly, and he's like, I will not be hit by bullets if I am a fly. 
And as he's morphing to this fly, the front of the ship drops open, and the sergeant immediately takes two bullets to the chest and just drops to the ground. And Marco's like, I'm horrified by all of the war I've seen. He's like, I've seen a lot, but, like, jumping through time and just seeing this, like, human-on-human violence really, like, brought home for him, like, how fucking awful and how much PTSD they're all going to have. Yeah. Um, cause every battle's horrifying and bloody and like all of his fly senses can smell like how much blood there is. Anyways, D-Day. We're at D-Day, guys. We Bring it death, down a notch. Death and destruction. Death and destruction. This is where we are. We cut to Axe's perspective. He made it onto a beach and he is absolutely dumbstruck by the amount of chaos and bloodshed around him. People killing each other in mass. And he is trying to get to Harrier, but he is dodging like bullets are just whizzing around him hitting the sand and every time he gets smaller he gets almost buried by the sand um and then finally his body gets pinned down by a dying soldier and he has this very close-up view of a medic coming over to this dying man with these horrific injuries that he is absolutely not coming back from and he keeps asking the medic like am i going to be okay it's going to be fine everything's going to be fine right and the medic just keeps like telling him yep yep you're going to be you're going to do great you're gonna be fine gives him some morphine i assume um and Mm -hmm. then just watches him die and suffers this major like crisis of conscience where he's like i don't know how to feel about humans like what i've seen is so fucked up and he's like i love my friends i love tobias like i love all of the people that i that i'm with all the time but like humans are super fucked up so yeah pretty much yeah X has this moment of that, which um, seems to be happening a lot. Uh, So then we cut to Cassie's perspective. Um, They've spotted this line of tanks that is headed towards the beach, and they're like, we have to intercept this column of tanks and not let them get there. Otherwise, all of the guys landing on the ships are going to be completely overrun. This battle will be lost. It'll turn the tides, and it just, you know, fuck up history. So, um... Tobias spots the Time Matrix and Visor 4 in some sort of a jeep, and they're like, okay, what we have to do is go on the offensive, get him, you know, follow this plan where we just have to get the Time Matrix back and don't do anything else. Um, There isn't much time to plan anything else. So they head out and hide in the bushes where this column of tanks and vehicles is going to pass by and start morphing. Tobias goes to hork Cassie goes Wolf, and they wait. As soon as this vehicle starts to go past them, they leap out at the car carrying Visor 4, and Tobias takes a full round of machine gun bullets to the chest. Um, Cassie makes it into the car, and then she catches a glimpse of handcuffs on Visor 4, and they're like, oh no, what the fuck is happening here? We don't know, because we cut back to Marco, X, and Rachel. Um, X is the one leading this chapter, and he's trying to come to terms with humanity when Rachel starts trying to explain the Holocaust to him. And X is like, he can't even comprehend the horror or how humans could do this. And he, like, he does mention Andalites did used to fight among themselves, but even then they would never kill a child. Like, this is just totally, like, unheard of for him. Um, and he goes into this whole tailspin about how humanity is the worst fucking thing in the world. And he's not wrong. Trying to figure out what to do. Axe and Marco agree that they have to go join the mission, figure out what the fuck to do. Rachel goes completely rogue and decides she's going to go kill a Nazi. This is her moment. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like, 
the end of the chapter was like whiplash with like Rachel explaining everything and Axe having this like big heavy moment and then all of a sudden Rachel's like, Well, I'm gonna go fuck up a Nazi and it's like Okay then. Um cut back to Tobias and Cassie, who are totally fine. The bullet holes disappeared and they were alive, nothing happened. Uh then Cassie gets shot a few times and she feels the impact and the pain and then nothing. Like it just heals. So the soldiers start speaking French to her, and that's when they realize, like, hey, this is fucked up. Like, the soldiers that are in this column of tanks, which they assumed were just Germans, are actually French and German. So, like, things are already, like, really fucked up. Um, But the Time Matrix is sitting right there, and they're like, we just gotta take it. They're like, should we take it by force? And they're like, no, that doesn't feel right. Like, this this is just really weird. Um, Fizzer 4 is cuffed up, there's, like, you know, soldiers there, they're like, ah, I don't know. And then finally they notice a man climbing out of the jeep, the driver of this jeep that had the time matrix. It was Hitler. The Animorphs found Hitler. There he is. So, there he is. And they suffer, like, a very weird, like, moment of, oh my god, it's Hitler, let's kill him. And then they're like, but in this timeline, he's not the leader of Germany, he is just a guy that drives a jeep. Like, yeah. So, um, we cut back to Marco, Axe, and Rachel, who are gonna go blow up some tanks, because apparently once Rachel said she was gonna go kill a Nazi, everybody else just jumped on board with that plan. (laughs) Why not? I mean, sure. If you're gonna do it. Um, And her big idea is that they're gonna steal grenades and then drop them into a tank, which will blow up inside of the tank. And then Jones. Yeah, like, whatever. Um, We cut back to Tobias and Cassie. Tobias leaps at Hitler's throat, and the, the driver, the captain of the army demands they release Hitler. And Cassie's like, this is the Hitler. Um, this is when they have their crisis of conscience. I jumped the gun a little. But, uh, yeah. They, they're like, what do we do? Everything's changed. This isn't, like, Hitler, Hitler. This is alter verse Hitler, where he's useless and horrible. Still useless <laughs> As and opposed to life. genocidal <laughs> and horrible. Right, exactly. I mean, this would be the lesser of the two evil Hitlers. But, um, yeah. About this time, Visor 4 takes a leap at the Time Matrix, and Cassie jumps for him, and Tobias then, like, jerks, like, because Cassie jumped, he reacted, and he slips and kills Hitler with one of his wrist blades. I was so certain that Rachel was gonna kill Hitler, but this works too, I guess. What does it mean that Tobias killed Hitler and not Rachel? I don't know. Well, it was an accident. (laughs) That's true, it was an accident, but yeah. But, like, would it, Cassie have talked him out of it? Or would he still have done it? I feel like Cassie would have absolutely talked him out of it. Hmm. But also, I don't know if this is, like... Very soon, we come up with this whole idea of, like, every Animorph must do a terrible thing in battle. And, like, did that just have to be Tobias's? Like, what's the deal? And how come he was, like, one of the few that, like, went through with it? Like, I would assume Axes would be beheading... The Hessian mm-hmm. guy, mm-hmm. but he never had to go through with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I don't know. It was Tobias's moment to fuck him up. Um, yeah, so then we cut back to Rachel, because we're like now going through this very quick flip as the tension ramps up, which it does 
And uh, she stole a grenade and was gleefully flying around, ready to drop it. Um, this led her over to the scene of Tobias and Cassie at the truck killing Hitler, and she's momentarily distracted by all of that. But like, <laughs> as one would be, over, as one might be <laughs> when you watch your significant other kill Hitler. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, but she can't be distracted for that long because Axe already pulled the pin out of this grenade and she now has a live fucking grenade. Which, by the way, if I know grenades at all, which I'm not saying I do, I believe it doesn't matter if you pull the pin as long as you still have the thing depressed. I so, thought so also. Oh, like, so like when you throw time. it, it's the impact that sets it off? No, no, no. So, like, you know, there's the pin in the top of it, but there's also that handle on grenades. Oh, right, right, right. Maybe she couldn't hold down the handle and... And her talons. Yeah, that's true. She might not have been able to. But yeah, it doesn't like so. Casey, for for your, I don't know, grenade knowledge. In case you ever need to know, <laughs> um, as long as you're holding down that handle, like have it compressed, the grenade is not like set to go off. That's why you throw it. It you release that handle and it explodes. You know, once it once the pin depresses into all of the parts of it and like blows up internally. Gotcha. Although this is assuming yeah. this is a round grenade instead of... I'm picturing, like, the cylindrical ones, but I think those are newer. I don't know. I didn't know there was cylindrical grenades. Yeah, I don't... I Maybe don't Cassie... Or, man, I screw up Cassie and Casey all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe Casey's grenade knowledge surpasses all of I ours. I think it might. I am also just completely spitballing. <laughs> <laughs> We're just making up grenade facts now. Oh, they got round ones. They got more round ones. They've got... Yeah, there's cylindrical ones. It looks like a thick can of mace. That one looks like a penis. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Moving right along. All right. She has a live grenade. She throws it into a tank. Because it is a grenade blowing up in a tiny area, the entire fucking tank blows the fuck up. And there are flames everywhere shooting out of whatever open areas there are. And the turret of the tank twisted, snapped off, and went careening into Visor 4, pinning him from the waist down to the ground. Um, like, everybody in the area was wounded and killed, and the Anwars would have been as well if they weren't completely incapable of dying at this point. I'm a bad bitch, you can't kill me! Pretty much. <laughs> it was just a, like a giant circle of destruction, it was only through chance that Visor 4 even like lived through this moment. Uh. Um... So yeah, the kids like demorph and they're standing in this scene of complete fucking horrific death and doom that they've created. And even Rachel, who like they all kind of looked at like, oh, she's going to be so pumped she just blew up a tank. Oh even she was like, this is fucked up. Oh like, my god. I know. It's all fucked up. Rachel's not completely um, soulless, you guys. For sure. And they like, they just assumed she would be like really pumped at having done this thing, but she was not. <sighs> Um, at that point, the Yerk is crawling out of John's ear, and they grab him, and, like, Marco takes him, and they're like, we have to decide what to do with this guy, but nobody wants to take responsibility for it, so finally Marco throws him into the flaming tank, and was like, burn or starve, this is, like, the lesser of the two fates, I guess. God, I loved um, Marco in this scene. Like, he, like, the way he was trying to be, like, macho and, and unaffected, but, like, he knew how fucked up it was. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciated him in this moment a lot. Mm -hmm. But 
Um, you can tell it fucks them up pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so they're they're all standing around like, what do we do with the time matrix? And uh, and they're talking with John and like, it's this weird moment of like Cassie's foreshadowing by saying like they're all gonna have a terrible act on their hands at the end of this, and so Cassie starts questioning him and saying like you know why you changed each moment and so john's like you know a lot of them like they could figure out like obviously like the nazis blah blah blah. um and like you know just everything that they could change to make humans easier to conquer they wanted to to get einstein so he didn't like you know build the bomb and and all that sort of stuff and or didn't come up with the formulas that allowed them to build that bomb uh and then he's like so why agincourt which was the medieval battle that we were all you know talking about how we had no idea what it was and John laughs and he goes, well, that was me protesting the Yurk. I, I used to, you know, quote Shakespeare, recite, recite the Shakespeare play in my head all day to drive the Yurk insane. And it did. It was driving him so crazy that when given the time matrix, the first thing he did was go to the battle so Shakespeare could not write the play that was used to torture the Yurk for so long. Um, and John did think that was very funny. He was laughing, even though he's dying. Um, at this point, John realizes, like, he's really not going to live through this. Like, this is the end of the line for him. And then Cassie brings it home by asking him where his parents met. And so John realizes not only is he not making it out of this adventure alive, but he's never going to have existed. And, uh, that is going to be Cassie's horrible task. So, um, the kids travel back in time to the point where John's parents met. And we find out they were hippies, which is very entertaining. They, like, are super, super duper hippie. Yeah. Big stoner hippies. Big stoner hippies. Big stoner energy in yeah. this moment. Um, and they're like, what is time, man? What is war? This is crazy. Uh, and the kids are just having a very serious conversation while the adults wander around saying shit like that. <laughs> um, so uh, it begins this whole debate between them about, like, what are they actually doing with the space-time continuum? Like, if they should just set everything back, if what they're doing now by making sure that John's never going to exist would be changing too much. Um, and it's, there's like a whole bunch of different perspectives about like what they should and shouldn't be doing to change the timeline. And um, Rachel's the one that says like, history already happened. We've already changed the timeline. We're changing the future and every decision we make. So whatever we do doesn't have any consequences really. Like she's playing that. Whereas Tobias is much more like we have to have everything the exact same. We shouldn't be fucking this up. And then like, I think it's Cassie's the one that's kind of like, well, we should do this one thing. Um, so it's really interesting until somebody asks, why are we here? And that's when they realize it was Jake. He's back. They're in Cassie's barn. Everything is set back to how it was before. And Jake's like looking around like, what the fuck? I was just with Washington and now I'm here. And then all the kids are looking around like, what the fuck? We were just with the hippies. What's happening? Um, and they realized that they had distracted Berryman's mom for long enough when they were debating the space-time continuum. And she was like, whoa, man, that's crazy. And so they have prevented them from meeting and having the kid and the entire rest of the world had fallen back into place. And Jake goes, did we fix everything? And Cassie goes, no, but we have put it all back. And that's the end of this book. Uh, so that's Megamorphs 3. That was horrifying. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> yeah, it was. So, how was your first Animorphs book that you actually read? <laughs> <laughs> 
I enjoyed a lot of things about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an easy read, which I was thankful for. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there was a lot I liked in descriptions that we couldn't get into as you were reading through your summary. Like, I liked how she described their emotions when one of their friends died, um, especially uh, Cassie when Jake died. Mm-hmm. And then I liked how um, she really depicted war very intensely and like didn't glorify it like I feel like a lot of other things do and Mm -hmm. it was just all terrible and war is completely horrible and I thought she did a really good job at that or I say she I don't know who wrote it yeah it was Applegate (laughs) okay oh was it do this okay yeah okay yeah um that was gonna be my next question (laughs) <laughs> I enjoyed the character interactions and speaking to each other a lot. Um, yeah. I kind of was upset about the whole basis of the book. <laughs> I didn't think that like two godlike beings would choose a bunch of kids to go <laughs> get the time matrix. And I also think that they should have never agreed to it. Like I think they should have called their bluff. Because they didn't want this guy to have the time matrix. So, like, had the Animorphs said no, I think they still would have done something else about it. And no one would have to die. And also, if they're the ones who wanted the time matrix back from Visitor 4, like, why did they also need a price to be paid? Like, they're the ones asking for something. Yeah, that should be the price. Yeah, so, I mean, I had a lot of issues with that aspect, but otherwise, I was entertained. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's, I think that's a pretty good way to sum up a lot of, like, the plots, is, like, a lot of times you're like, well, this never should have happened, but it's so well written that, like, (laughs) I'm just gonna enjoy the ride. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yep. Those were my thoughts. <laughs> I'm glad that you enjoyed reading it. Because there's... I mean, there's there's a lot that we can't... Like, you know, we're not reading it line for line when we're going through. So it's hard sometimes to describe, you know, the character interactions. And, like, just the one-off, like, little jokey type things that, like, you know... Oh, you overlooked my favorite joke, which was Tobias making fun of Marco about his mom being his prom date. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> <the> very beginning. <laughs> yes. Oh, because Marco's mom is still alive and, and with him. Yes. Oh, that was a good one. <laughs> Man. <sighs> yeah, I don't know what my favorite joke in here was. Because there was a lot. There was a lot of, like, really funny moments and then, like, a lot of horrifying moments. I think Marco stealing Washington's boots is going to be my top one. <laughs> I wonder what kind of security they had that <laughs> they could just go stealing Washington's clothes. And Visitor 4 had to get appropriate outfits for each era, so... And these kids are just running around in leotards like, well, fuck it! <laughs> like, oh, man. They should have spent more time on that pirate ship. That was a cool one. It wasn't actually a pirate ship. True. I it's hate not, to burst your bubble. It's not a real <laughs> pirate ship. But, you know, in my head, 
it was a pirate ship. Okay, I accept that. Thank you. <laughs> My head cannon. Casey, what'd you think? Uh, I like, so like I barely took any notes just because the book moved so fast and it was just so action packed. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't have a ton to say about it. Um, but holy shit, like that first chapter, man, I just struggled through that. I was like, is the whole book going to be like this? luckily not yeah i think this when we launched this podcast this was probably the book that i was the least looking forward to reading really yeah just because it's so there's so much to talk about that i have absolutely no ground to talk about Mm -hmm. like you know there's just there's a lot happening that like really was a i think a really interesting statement and like 90s appropriate but like nowadays we look back at some of it and we're like yeah the messages are still like very solid but the way in which they are presented just is so like cringeworthy yeah like there's a couple um outdated and offensive terms in this book that i was just kind of like ah hello yeah i was extremely like against when we were reading it's <laughs> like oh man yeah just so very bad very very bad um yeah i don't know i just i think this one i dreaded the most i mean it 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 worked well with the animorphs universe i think mm-hmm. like like when i knew this was going to be a time travel book i was like okay time travel Let's go, you know, it kind of like <laughs> harking back to, um, what was it? The time travel book in, uh, Jake's book in the jungle. Like we talked, Oh yeah, yeah. like we talked about how like, it's a really kind of overdone kind of plot line, but or mm-hmm. not plot line, but I don't know what the word I'm trying to think of is. Um, trope. it's an overdone like trope. Um, mm-hmm. but again, like it was handled pretty well. Um, kind of wish there had been a little more indication like John Berryman not existing like that set everything back but it must have affected something you know so I wish I wish there was a little more consequence on that front yeah I thought that even had he not existed like what was to prevent um visitors for different hosts from finding the time matrix because it was still visitor for controlling Mm -hmm. the brain of the person who's Mm -hmm. doing whatever so right it doesn't wipe out visor four and also visor four it says at some point during the book it was a major battle that he got demoted from because he like let i can't remember the exact details but he basically let something happen where the animorphs were able to win or whoever the it was the lyrans right i think it might have been the lyran battle that he failed for yeah so does that mean that he was successful in that battle then? Or, like, mm-hmm. what What was the deal? Like, it should change the Animorphs' personal timeline. Yeah. But, I don't know. Also, I was really was... mad at Elfangor for just burying the stupid thing in the ground. <laughs> yeah. In, like, a semi-populated area. It's like, you fucking idiot. Yeah. You should put that in the Earth's core. 
Like, that thing, you should blast that thing into space. Like, I don't know, just, just do better. Well, that was a big hole to dig already. <laughs> yeah, so. Oh, man. Well, and it's like now, if, it, if the time matrix is still back in the construction site, mm-hmm. should somebody maybe take care of that? Like, move it elsewhere? I feel like the Elemis took it away at the end of this. He was like, like you can't have this toy anymore. He's like, good, you got it back. Now it is mine. <laughs> but if he could take it away so easily, <laughs> he should have just done that in the first yeah. place. Yeah. yeah, Just remove that thing from the equation, I think. <laughs> Put that thing back where it came from. <laughs> so help me. Yeah, um, he should have, for sure. Yeah. I found it ironic that the battle they spent the most time on at least from how long how many pages they are writing about was the first battle which was the only one that like there was no historic reason he wanted to change it other than (laughs) the old shakespeare's play so and it was the only one where they were like successful because he changed every he did single other one oh well, except technically einstein but that was not because of the animorphs yeah true but yeah um did you guys think the progression of events that happened because time was shifted um did you think that made sense i mean more specifically like the the potential americans losing and washington getting killed um like, did you think that made sense with what happened next? The consequences may have been a little, I don't know how to phrase this precisely, but basically it was like huge consequences where like Washington wasn't the only person fighting for that thing, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Like other people would have stepped up and done it. So like maybe there would have been some differences, but like I don't think that it would have necessarily been the like the entire war was lost because Washington died in a battle. It's like no somebody else would have come up under him and like you know mm-hmm. yeah things would have been different so it would have been done the same way but it you know there was maybe Hamilton would have been president <laughs> Hamilton would have been president and we would have had the musical Washington. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my god! It's the real change. <laughs> oh wow. I, I will say, um, before we, like, move on to character ratings, that one of the biggest complaints we had in Megamorphs 1 was that we kept seeing the same mm-hmm. story from different perspectives. Yeah. So, and this yeah. one, there was a few times that it overlapped, but it was done beautifully. Yeah, like, I it agree. was always like, here's the perspective you need, okay, like, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll move on. And otherwise, it was a continuous timeline. Mm-hmm. I did occasionally lose track of whose perspective we were from, yeah, and I'd too. have to go back to the beginning of the chapter to see whose picture was there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys have pictures? Yeah, Aww. like they're little like faces in the in the beginning of the chapters. Oh, I didn't have that. Like it says like who it is too. It's like chapter six, Rachel. But then yeah, there's the little oh. picture. It's pretty cool. That's cool. Yep. And it took me about halfway, if not longer, through the book to realize um, that quotations are for actual speaking and the triangle the things carrots. I don't know are what they're for actually thought speak speaking. <laughs> yeah. It took me a very long time to figure that out. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think most of the time they don't expect you to jump in Megamorphs 3 and <laughs> like, this is my Probably first not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. 
Yeah, they, they didn't really give us, like, the whole walkthrough at the beginning. Like, they did, but it was more meant to, like, jolt us because it was Tobias talking about Melissa. Like, they didn't, normally there'd be, like, a more of a transition where it would kind of explain those things again to you and you'd get to contemplate life or whatever. I, I had to, I tried to only use my podcast knowledge um when reading this book and being prepared for this podcast um but i did have to look up one thing just because it would have really thrown everything off um with melissa Mm -hmm. i had to look up how the animorphs got their powers originally oh from the morphing cube yeah Yeah. because like had they and i didn't think that they were born with it but like had they been born with it like rachel still should have had her powers and Mm -hmm. but yeah so I had to go solve that mystery for myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Sometimes I think we're like, oh, that's obvious. Let's skip that. But like, yeah, that, that is important to know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Who wants to start with Jake? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Silence. Oh. I'm new at this, so I'll go last. <laughs> okay. Do you want me to go first? Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and break my normal thing with Jake and just give him five stars because he was very, like, he really started to ramp up and then he just got blasted through the fucking head. Oh, I know. And he really started to do some good shit throughout this book and, like, him making the plan, like, to be the war charger and to introduce the devil into the battle so as not to, like, break medieval continuity. Mm Mm-hmm. Very genius maneuver, yeah. And uh, I feel very bad that he got shot through the head. I do so he too. gets a sympathy five. God, I hated Nazi Jake though. Oh god, yeah. Nazi Jake was the worst. I'm not even like taking yeah, that into account. That's true. Like it, it's so, so fucking weird. I'm just not even. Yeah, that was yeah. that was not real in any capacity. <laughs> it was not real. It was like here's a shock value thing. Yeah, and then let's get to the book. Yeah. Yeah. So he gets a five. Yes. I, I can agree with that, I think. He was very good when he was alive. <sighs> yeah. Okay. I was struggling with him because he was gone for a big portion of the book. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'm going to give him a four just to yeah. be different. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> he was gone for a very large portion yeah. of this book. He was a slacker. <laughs> he is, didn't take the initiative of being a man. The other animorphs are all slaving away trying to get shit done. Dying and he's... is easy, young man. <laughs> <laughs> Living is harder. Uh, the Hamilton podcast. <laughs> um, okay, what about Rachel? Oh my god. Well, I know what you're going to give her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I don't... I, I, I can't immediately think of any reason not to give her a five. She should have a five. And let me tell you why. <laughs> let me stand on my soapbox and tell you why Rachel should have a five. Because all of these kids going through history being like, listen, we can't fuck this up. We have to figure out where we are. We have to be careful. And there's fucking Rachel, who when you send her to Nazi Germany, says, I'm going to fucking kill a Nazi. Because she is not throwing away her shot. This is her moment. Her jubilance of getting to kill a Nazi, I thought was a little too much. She was very joyous about it. 
She um, was dedicated. She, oh <laughs> she my was God. very excited at the thought. <laughs> she was. But after it happened, she was not elated at her actions. That's true. She learned. Um, she bothered me a little in the beginning when, like, she was just ready to jump into this whole thing just because she was uh, at the re-education camp or whatever, yeah. whatever they called it. She, like... Took nothing else into consideration. <laughs> yeah, no, she did not. She took personal she, offense, uh, and that was her main goal. Yes. Yeah, it was like, they did this thing to me, so I'm going to push back. Yeah, there were some problems. I played with the idea of giving her a four, but also she's my favorite. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did consider giving her a four, if that helps you guys at all. I'm going to give her a four. Because of those two issues I had. It's acceptable. I understand. How many people did she kill? A lot. Okay. She blew up an entire tank. Yeah. That's like, what, five people? Yeah. Right that in there? Yeah. Based on my knowledge of how many people fit in tanks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't want to brag, but I've seen that movie with Shia LaBeouf in the tank. <laughs> so, pretty well versed. Casey, did you give an official Rachel rating? I'll give her a five, because I really liked at the end when Marco was trying to pass off the Yerk and... She said no, and it just made me think about the David arc oh, yeah. and like how painful yeah. that was for her. And I was just like, yeah. I appreciate that. That's a very good point. I maintain my five. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, how about Tobias? Hmm. I really enjoyed his uh, catching the arrow move. That was super fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. So based on that alone, I would give him a five. <laughs> I like that a lot. Oh my god. I played with knocking him down to a four. I'm leaning towards a five, but I played with that idea um, just because of how many times they had like moments where Tobias was like, abandon the mission. I want to go after my friends, which oh, isn't that's true. necessarily a bad thing, but um, I thought he had more of those moments than usual. So I wasn't sure that I liked that new change in him. But then also he and Rachel kissed for the first time in a book. So. That was like completely brushed over and I hated it. I was like, this is a big mm-hmm. deal. See, I loved it because we, when Jake and Cassie did it, it was such a big deal. Yeah. And I loved that they had the same moment, but because they are who they are, it was treated as like, oh, true. fine. And Marco didn't mock them. And it was just a moment that happened and then they moved on. And also it would have been extremely awkward because it happened right after the whole Cassie yeah, incident where true. she turned into a polar bear. Like so it was very bad timing. Yeah, there, yeah, there wasn't enough time to appreciate it because there was much yeah. bigger shit going on. There was. I'm giving him a five um, as well. well he, he also said my favorite joke. Oh, yeah. yeah so that's true. Another, that's true. Um, another reason for five. Yeah. But, like, so you said that there was a lot of, like, him abandoning the battle to go after Rachel or whatever. Um, but, like, mm-hmm. I really liked the scene where Cassie's a dolphin and she's morphing back. And he's basically telling her, like, we need to get organized. You need to get a grip. And I was like, oh, true. he's come a long way from the hawk who collapsed when he realized his cousin was Visor 3. Yeah, or the hawk that tried to fly through a glass ceiling to kill himself yeah. because he realized that's... That was his fate. Like, he's he's accepting things now in a different, more mature way. Yeah. Not more mature. That's not the right way to say it. In a more constructive way, I guess. Sure. 
hardened, battle-hardened way. I just, I thought everyone was so good in this book. I think I might, I think I might end up doing that unless someone can convince me otherwise. <laughs> As if giving, okay, them well, a, uh, giving them all a five will somehow help heal some of their PTSD pain. Aww. Babies. Well, what about accents since we're on our five streak? I, of course, solid five. <laughs> I love. I just. I love when he gets existential over humans. I just. I love that outsider's perspective. It just like, mm-hmm. oh god, it's so good. I absolutely agree. I was giving him a five too. For that. I was gonna give him a five also. I liked how he was very mission focused the whole time, and then I loved his internal struggle at the end. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the scene where he's like trapped under the the soldier and the medic. And he's yeah. just sitting there like, humans are so terrible. Like, this isn't my battle. Like, this isn't my problem. And I thought yeah. I thought he was just going to, like, lay there and wait for the battle to be over and, like, pull a Cassie. But he didn't. He got out of there and he kept going. And yeah, I was just did. like, oh, oh, baby. Yeah, and it also brought this really interesting perspective of, like, Andalite battle is nowhere near as bloody and horrifying as human battles he was so horrified by what he saw and like how primitive it was and everything. And he was just like, this is not my world. Mm-hmm. I don't like this. Yeah. It was interesting. All right. Uh, Cassie, who gets a five from me. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Fuck yeah. She gets five from me as oh well. Oh my God. The polar bear scene was epic. <laughs> it was, Fuck. it was fucking epic. And I was cheering. I felt so hopeful in that moment. Uh, and that, is what everyone should do to racist people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, God, I love it when you get, like, a marginalized person in these books. Like, also Rachel with the with the creep in her book, and she turned into fucking... I don't even know if she, like, turned half into elephant and, like, scared the piss out of him. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, just... Oh, my God. The other... I know we weren't going to take the initial few chapters into consideration in doing this, but... um. I have to say, one of the other things I liked about her was that even in those crazy, destructive, racist, horrific moments where, like, nobody was themselves, she still had, like, part of Cassie shining through with, like, being kind to everybody and, like, you know, her perspective was still, like, why is everybody going and, like, hunting down these primitives in the jungle? Like, I just really appreciated Mm -hmm. that she was shining through even then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she gets a five from me. Yeah, like, uh, she just continued to be, like very nuanced and she also kind of acknowledged her faults in this one like because the druid keeps telling her that she's like the compassionate killer and blah 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 and like near the Mm -hmm. end when she was doing that shit with john berryman she was just like she was kind of like the druid was right about me but i have to do what what needs to be done and it's like oh my god that's so powerful yeah. I'm still kind of on a Cassie high from the last book also, because <laughs> I just finished listening to it, I think, yesterday. Dude, she kicked ass in so, that book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I loved her in that book. She's... I paid attention to the whole plot. <laughs> <laughs> like, just as these books go on, the more and more, like, capable she is. Like, like she started off as, like, the pacifist and, like, the scared person and, like, thinking she couldn't, like really help with anything but like she can handle shit and that's amazing she can i like her more and more the older i get (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think it's like a a maturity thing right because i she was not my favorite character initially reading the series like the first time i read through Uh it i was like eh, don't really like her as time goes on and like 
I kind of gain perspective on things. I like her a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's left? Did we all give fives for that? Yeah. I Was think so. Fives? Okay, yeah. Marco, last one. I mean, obviously, he gets a five for me. I was going to give him a five, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he that struggle that he has throughout the book, uh-huh. like, it starts off with him knowing his best friend's going to die and working through that. And still, like, as we've talked about a million times, coming back to carry the team with the, you know, never letting anybody know that he's not, like, joking and mm-hmm. happy and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then at the end with like when nobody else wanted to take responsibility for killing the Yerk, mm-hmm. he was he just got it done. Yeah. Which is I think showing a a real switch in his character, like a real growth. Yeah. So. I really like the scene where he was morphing to fly also and describing the horror all around mm-hmm. him and like in the end he could just still smell the blood and everything and how that will stick with him for life. I don't know. It's nothing he really did, but it just got to me. <laughs> that, no, I, like I totally agree because that was like the first time it's like I feel the like PTSD sinking in and I can feel how like how much is fucking him up and i feel like he's one of the only ones that actually acknowledges like how fucked up they're all gonna be after this war like i feel like the others don't yeah. think about it as much or at least they don't like express it as much mm-hmm. but marco is just continuously like we are fucked like yeah and there's just something like compelling about that like this self-awareness maybe it's because like he yeah. went through the grief of like losing his mom so like he knows how like tragedy affects you i don't know yeah i mean that could be it it could also just be like that bleak realism mm-hmm. because everybody else is kind of like even when they acknowledge the realism like cassie is always like but there's hope mm-hmm. and jake is always like but i don't expose how vulnerable i feel mm-hmm. and rachel's always like i'm never afraid like everybody has those like layers and marco's just like here's how this shit really yeah. is he's the realist it's, yeah I like that it's just so yeah. appropriate for his character very very good any last thoughts before we close this out? I don't think so. I don't think so either. <gasps> All right, cool. Well, Shannon, thank you for joining us. Thank you this was for fun. making me read a book. <laughs> <laughs> Add it to your Goodreads list now. <laughs> oh, that was fun. Yeah. I'm glad that you were willing to accept someone with absolutely no experience to be here <laughs> not only do i accept it i was delighted and excited about Excellent. it <laughs> i thought i was not qualified whatsoever oh you were completely qualified <laughs> <laughs> completely qualified to talk about these books for sure all right well that's it let's get out of here what do we talk about oh yeah how to email us that's what we talk about <laughs> well if you want to email us and tell us about your historical knowledge that is better than ours you can do that at anonymous at gmail.com or you can post it for everybody to see and shame us publicly at facebook.com slash anonymous or if you want to go to our secret group it's facebook.com slash group slash anonymous and that's the andalite bandalite group it's super secret. It's super awesome. There's a lot of fun stuff there. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram where you can see all of the shitty images I make at Animorphs Anonymous. And you can follow us on Twitter where Casey occasionally tweets sorry. at Animorphs Anon. Yeah, if you, want, if you want actual updates on the times that the episodes actually go up, please check out the Facebook or the Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> the Twitter is hit or miss, unfortunately. I'm so I, sorry. I sometimes miss the Instagram and have to update two on the same day. My bad. Ugh. 
Podcast-wise, we are found in most podcast hosting services, uh, including, but not limited to, iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Spotify, the works. Casey, tell me about your comic book. Uh, I have a comic. It's a web comic. It's called B-Side You. Uh, you can check that out at B-S-I-D-E-Y-O-U-Comic.com. Please read it. I make it. And also, things are heating up this week. <laughs> on the comic. I don't want to spoil anything for you, but it is getting pretty middle school romance right now. Ooh. There's a <laughs> there's a new character that's that's coming up that is my favorite my favorite boy, so y'all should check that out. And he's happy to be here. And there's also Slater who's already there and is displeased to be here. So <laughs> you can go either way with those. <laughs> Alright. Well, that's all I have to say about anything ever. Until two weeks from now. Until two weeks from now, when I have more things to say about other things. But for this two weeks, I'm done. So goodbye. Is this going up on my birthday? <laughs> yeah, this is your birthday This is my birthday! Happy birthday! Hey. It's my okay, birthday. now that's the last thing I have to say. <laughs> All right, we're out. <laughs>